Well, I'm so excited to welcome Jamie Punishall, CMO for Lionbridge to CMO Pulse. Jamie, what's going on? How are you? Well, thank you so much for having me, Tanya. Um, we're just back from a holiday, so I'm just trying to play uh, play catch up, do a little year end prepping. You know, it's budgeting season, and um, we're simultaneously making sure we hit this year's numbers while we plan a great year for next year. So, you know, it's that crazy time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Although I feel like there hasn't been like, was there a month where you were like, I'm having a reprieve. There's really nothing going. I can just chill out. I feel like that month used to be in the summer, but I don't know. I feel like maybe we had something ish um, in July that was just a little quieter than it had been in a long time. Um, you know, particularly because we have, you know, a very large chunk of our business is Europe and, and, you know, quite a few of my colleagues are in Europe. I think Europe really took the summer, you know, a more traditional kind of European summer holiday this year than, than was true in 2020. Um, but yeah, it does kind of feel like it's been a, almost a 20 month sprint. Right. Sprinting a marathon. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think that ends well. No, I don't. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure if you look it up, it, it isn't. Uh, it isn't the formula for long-term, lasting, sustainable success. But uh, that'll be the subject of our next episode, I think. So. Yeah, that might explain um, part of the Great Resignation. Yeah. Right. No. I mean. I mean. Really. I mean. So let's start there. You know. It, tell me a little bit about. Um, you know. Tell our viewers and listeners a little about Lionbridge. And I mean, how are you doing? How's your team doing? Like as you. As you look out to 2022 and beyond, like what's what's it like right now for you? Yeah, so I mean, so Lionbridge, for those of you um, who don't know, is um, one of the world's largest um, and, and most well known and respected translation and localization companies. Um, and for those of you who don't know what that means, you know that last time you picked up your iPhone and you accidentally turn the menus into say Korean. And then you first, you tried to figure out how you were going to get out of that. And then you said, how did, who did that? And the answer is us, right. Or somebody like us, right. A, a localization company, um, you know, Minecraft is like in 120 languages. Um, and so we work with large companies where we guess we work with all kinds of companies, but typically companies who have a large global presence and want their customer experience and the customer journey to be local, locally relevant, whether that's language or that's cultural adaptation. It could be software, it could be marketing materials, it could be international SEO, that, that kind of thing. Um, specifically at Lionbridge, um, you know, we are a we were a publicly traded company until 2017. We were taken private, so we're part of a PE turnaround. Um, and we've had our two best years in company history in 2020 and 2021. Um, the truth is, good times, bad times, you need to translate. And, you know, there was a lot of lot of things to translate, even in, you know, during COVID times, in fact, in some ways more interesting than others. And we were really well positioned with a, a very digitally centric go to market motion. Um, and so, you know, I like to say we just went through the world's greatest A-B test where we took physicality and geography off the table and suddenly proved to everybody, including a lot of the I can't believe there were still digital naysayers in 2020, but there were. Um, wow, this digital thing actually really works. In fact, maybe it's kind of big and we should be doing it. And what have we been doing for the last 20 years? It's kind of like digital kabuki theater. Um, and so because we had been part of this turnaround and, you know, I'd worked very closely with our CRO to, to really, you know, 
lean into the way the modern B2B buyer operates, you took away physicality and geography, and that really didn't impact us at all. In fact, we leaned in even harder. We had our first campaign up two weeks after the shutdowns. And we basically had had just record contribution to pipeline, record MQLs. We just we just a couple more months of record MQLs just on on every level. Um, you know, the 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 results have been been really good. But you know, my team's tired. You know, back to the way we started. It's it's hard. It's a harder the, there's some dimensions of this that are just a harder grind. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've fortunately had great retention, you know, who we've lost has been, you know, for amazing promotions and opportunities, which is frankly, as a leader, I'm proud of those people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I mean, collectively as a world, we could use a little break. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, well put. I feel, uh, I feel the same way, by the way, it's interesting. I was, uh, always thinking, you know, if, if someone who's worked for you and is taking another job is taking a job that like you would want or that you would really want to celebrate, then you're like, that's amazing. Right. You know, it's a, yeah, I, feel well, like, I feel like we need more of that kind of level setting. Cause you kind of go, sure. It sucks to lose great people, but it's also completely bowled over to see those good people get opportunities that they couldn't have gotten before they'd worked for you. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm very senior, probably my most senior person resigned middle of the year because she got a CMO job and, you know, I'm chatting, you know, oh, you know, why'd she leave? I'm like, what was her career path here? Like, unless you're saying you don't like me, where was she going? Right. She's going to wait patiently for me to leave. Like, you know, good for her. She was great. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to see her go because she was a great colleague and, you know, brilliant at her job. And, and at the same time, yeah, that's exactly what I want. And, you know, when you look over the life of a career, you know, I mean, I've, you know, I've probably had more different kinds of jobs than the average bear. Um, but one of the things that I've been able to do is uh, everywhere I go, I have a huge network of people I can recruit who used to work for me. Um, and, you know, so great. So she goes off this time and maybe I have another job in five years and I need somebody like her and I bring her back over. It's you have to have that kind of a network, I, I think, especially I mean, you think about how hard it is to recruit right now. Yeah. If you don't have that kind of relationship with former employees and, and you're not advocating for their growth and their well-being and their career advancement, who's going to want to follow you when you go somewhere? Yeah, it, it's really, I mean, it's it's a complete shift in many cases to how we do business, like this notion of, you know, loyalty means staying with me forever, right? And you're like, no, um, that isn't that isn't the reality. In your teams, in your organizations, how do you make what you believe, you know, whether it's about leadership or marketing or in this case, you know, employee engagement, how do you make that visible? And how if how is that different? Um, you know, with a lot of people being remote and, and with what we've just gone through with the pandemic. Boy, you know, I'm not sure I've got the magic bullet answer on that one. I'm still trying to figure it out um, myself. You know, I, th- I think there's a there's a there's a few different ways to look at this from my point of view. The first is if you had a distributed team to begin with, and in my case, I had a global team, right? I had I've got you know field marketers in Europe and Asia, and I've actually got core members of my team who are based you know in Europe. So we already had to deal with this sort of part asynchronous and a lot of, you know, remote 
interaction. And it was hard when you, I mean, if you think about the power dynamic that exists when you've got half of your team in one location and then a few people in other locations, those other people, like they almost always feel left out. They're missing out on something, et cetera. Interestingly enough, you, you put this situation now and what it did is it leveled the playing field right? For my whole team now operates the same way. We all have to decide camera on or camera off. We all have to decide we're in teams or we're not in teams. Um, And, you know, we, I think we're even more cognizant of the way we set up meetings and meeting times. And for that, actually, in many ways, it helped, I felt the team dynamics because you, you removed power differential, whether it was perceived or otherwise. Um, Now, that said, you know, do we miss getting together? Is there a sense of connection and, you know, connectivity that's somewhat missing? I think so. You know, I worry that, you know, it's harder to mentor junior people when, you know, I can't read their body language. I can't, I can't see the soft stuff. I can't, yeah. and you, can't you know, just grab them for a few minutes, like after a meeting, you've got to set some time and it's a bit more fun. Well, I, that, that part, I'm not so sure I agree. Cause I think this is, it, it really depends on how well you lean into the tools. And this is like everything else. It, it's not unlike the digital conversation. If you don't recognize that the modality of work has to shift, which in in my case, I believe it's, you know, how do we use video to it's chat is the new hallway. So if I need to grab somebody after a meeting, I can hit them on uh, chat instantaneously. Um, And so element for a junior employee of like the CMO is suddenly asking if I'll hop on to have a chat about something. Or do you think it's flat enough? And that's was that any different than if I tapped him on the shoulder as we walked out of a meeting in a physical location? I guess my point is, if I'm asking you to sit down and you're going to you're nervous because it's the CMO is asking you to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't think you are more or less nervous in the physical world versus the the digital world. I just, that's a, that's a, how do you handle that power dynamic and what do you do with it? My point was, I think you can still do a lot of those things. You can still have a lot of the softer interactions, but you have to, you have to do them differently. And you have to, in some cases you have to work to do them. Um, uh, you know, and where you didn't have to before it could be, you could be a little bit more opportunistic or a little bit more serendipitous. Um, I still think there's, you know, we are humans and by our very nature, we want to be in groups and connected. And there's something about physical energy that we miss. Um, but, you know, let's not forget, you've got companies like Upwork and, you know, a whole bunch of others that were remote, you know, first always. They've built their cultures and their operating model around it and they do quite well and they have great retention numbers, et cetera. So, you know, I think part of the struggle that people have is like everything else that's new, you take the old and you jam it into a new modality. And then you wonder why it doesn't really work because you can't operate the same way in, in, in the digital working environment that you could when everybody was in the same office, right? So you take a Slack or a Teams, you have to get into this routine where everybody operates asynchronously. So we're not going to assume that everything has to be synchronous. In fact, we should want everything to be asynchronous, which also means you, you have to, people have to communicate differently. Hey guys, here's when I need an answer. Here's my response to you from, you know, like you just, you have to operate 
differently. And I think so much of what's happening, it's like the early days of the web. You can't just take the newspaper ad and stick it up, you know, in a browser. It's, you know, the, the, the old brochure where, and you still see people doing that, right? Oh, you yeah. you mean, can't I, take your physical customer event and shove it into a virtual environment and run it the same way. And yet lots of people did that. Um, so I really feel like the struggles we're having have less to do with the, the nature of the new model of work and more about us not actually shifting to the nature of that new model. We're still operating the old way, but in these new mediums. And practically speaking, what do you feel is required or what do you do for you to prevent the stuffing of something that already worked in a different format into the new? Like, how do you approach? Is that an approach to innovation? Is that about adapting to change? Like, what's what's that about? Boy, it's a really good question. This is one where I I do... I am by nature a change agent, innovator, driver of new things, et cetera. Um, so I'm not for you then, it, it is. It's like, I mean, again, like I was fascinated over the last two years as I would do all these CML peer calls and I would hear people, oh my God, what are we going to do? Lead gens dried up. Our whole plan was built on trade shows. And I was listening to this going, guys, it's 2020. Like all it really did to me was it exposed how if you, you know, if you, if you, if you were to sit down and say, this is what defines a modern marketing organization, they are agile, they are digital first, they are multi-channel, they are, um, you know, pre-commerce and commerce, right? You know, if, if, if your customer is doing 60% of their research and interaction, interacting with your brand via non-face to non-person to person methods. Like, are you built for that? Um, and so they had the stuff, they had the websites, they had the webinars, but they were still really running a analog marketing motion with just digital channels. So you asked me how, and part of it is, you know, I've been doing this new stuff for so long and I kind of am wired that way that um to me, I always, I like, I looked at what we just went through as the greatest opportunity. Like literally two months before we shut down, we were trying to get the salespeople to really embrace social selling. There was nothing I could do, <laughs> frankly, better than turn off face to face to get them to embrace social selling. Like it was the greatest gift ever because we took it away. So they, now they're like, what do we do? And we're like, well, as it turns out, We've been telling you what to do. Here it is. Here's the gift. It's ready for you. And that actually is a lot of what happened for us is the things that we were trying to convince people to do, convince them to adopt, convince them to shift and lean into. The, the, the bad news was all of their old toys got taken away. The good news was we were ready because we had been, we had built for that future and we were trying to get them there. And now what happened is all the resistance went away because they almost had no choice. Right. So they were actually really happy. Suddenly they, we all looked like Nostradamus and, um, and they were like, great. And, and I, I think part of our success, I look at it relative to our competitors is how digitally oriented we were for what is clearly a digitally oriented buying cycle, um, even before the pandemic. And so it just, it, again, you know, so much of life is, you know, it, you know, as they say, luck is the intersection of hard work and opportunity. 
you don't always get the opportunity, but when you do drive a bus through it kind of thing. And so we were ready and that was a gift. Um, and, and all the things that we were saying were true, you know, really manifested. I mean, it's like, it's like online grocery shopping. I know this will seem like it's, it's a strange parallel, but you know, that's been around for 20 plus years. People act like it just got invented in 2020. It's It's not new, but it's suddenly like, and we're not going back. Like, even as I've gone back to stores, I am, you know, I did it last night. I'm shopping on my app and then I'm, and somebody else is walking the aisles and I just go and pick it up. Um, So I like, I need physical stores, but I use them very differently. And you, um, I mean, you referenced before that, you know, you've, you've had a, a very different lead up to becoming CMO. I mean, you worked in finance, you, you know, headed up innovation at Citibank, like you have a lot of um, both financial and other analytically driven roles, as well as innovation and brand type roles. As you reflect on your career, what do you see as the single biggest turning point or sort of most influential moment in it that's kind of led you to where you are today? Oh, boy. Um, You know, it's funny. If you look at my career from today backwards, it looks like I planned it and orderly. It looks progression points. Yeah. And I can tell you 1000% that nothing could be further from the truth. Um, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know what a CMO was when I graduated from college, uh, much less want to be one. Um, I'm not a marketer by, you know, I didn't major in marketing. I don't have the, the traditional path. Um, I, you know, I got into digital transformation in the mid nineties and I was just a person who uh, both I'm kind of at the, I'm kind of old for this, but I am, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an old digital native. Right. Um, and you know, I was like one of the few kids coding when I was in middle school and, and I never actually became a coder, but I'm, I'm a, the next generation of business leaders who are perfectly comfortable in the technology driven world. And let's face it, that's what a lot, that's what's the transition that's been hard are the people who didn't really live in a tech-driven world. Um, And so I just chased where I saw the change. And at every inflection point in my career, what I did is I said, okay, am I accomplishing what I want to accomplish? What is in the way of me being able to do more? Um, Okay, I got to go get me some of that. So, you know, I was an individual contributor for a long time. I was very happy being an individual contributor. And at some point I realized, okay, I can only affect so much change. And I'm tired of seeing the change go slower than I would like. If I want the change to go faster, okay, I got to go get more power. All right. Now I need to think about how do I, how do I build my case as a P&L manager, as a, as a people manager, you know, as a leader, um, Hey, you know, uh, I hit a point at Citibank where I realized, you know, if I don't get, you know, general management experience and PL ownership, I, I, there's a point at which I simply can't take on some of the roles and things that I think would be, you know, helpful in achieving what I want to achieve. Okay. I got to go find that. And so I've looked at it more of how do I build my overall skill set to, get into the position where I can drive what I'm trying to drive. In some ways, it looks like I built one of those old school general management, you know, sort of, you know, hey, you're a year in a finance function and a year as an operation. And you do the rotation and that's what trains you to run an organization. I didn't so consciously do that. 
It was, it was more, okay, this is what I think I need to do in the next three to five years. Let me go find the job where I can learn those skills. And sometimes that meant going sideways. It didn't always mean going up. Um, but it, it, it took away, you know, resistance. So much of hiring, if you think about how people hire, you don't hire, you hire as much for what that person can do as you do for the things that you perceive they can't do or won't be good at. Right. And if you have too many risks or too many things, I mean, you look at like ideal candidate has these 27 things. If you got 25, you're in good shape. If you have three, maybe not so much. Right. So, you know, the, a lot of what I was doing was saying, okay, I need to take this off the table. So I'm eligible for these jobs as they come along the way. If I, if I think there's a seminal moment, it really is when I decided to leave Forrester where I really had, I mean, I had a great job. It's a great gig as an analyst, but you really are in this place where you feel like Cassandra, you're just yelling from a podium and people may listen or they may not listen, which is why a lot of people become analysts. They're like, Hey, I don't want to deal with the politics and the execution and all the other stuff. I just want to think big thoughts and, and, and say, Hey, this is where the world is going. And that's great. I wasn't at that point in my career. And so I had to make a decision to go back in on sort of the, let's call it the corporate path, um, which meant sort of building very system, you know, systematically my skill set to be able to do that. And that was the, that was the big seminal moment, right? And you can see it in my career, right? I mean, my first, whatever, 10 years or so, maybe even a little longer than that. Half my career was really just as an individual contributor. And then I said, all right, now I'm going to move on the, the executive track, such as it were. Um, which is how I landed here. And and as you stepped into the CMO role for the first time, how did you prepare for that? You know, as a non-traditional marketer, what did you go into it knowing, not knowing? What was in your toolkit? Like, can you tell me a little bit about that process? Yeah, so I'm going to say something that will sound flip and it's not meant to be, but like marketing is not complicated. Marketing is understand your audience, design good strategy, execute really well. Like it just, this is not, you know, it's not, it's not voodoo. I mean, like, you know, I don't think you have to be a specialist in those things to be a CMO. In fact, I'd argue you don't. I happen to be able to go deep in a lot of areas. Um, but what makes me successful is I know how to understand the market. I know how to really think strategically about how to address those pain points and how to create a plan for it. And then I know how to hire really good people who execute. Um, and so, because again, if you look, what happened is I, I, part of the reason I ended up in marketing is you could see digital started really more in product land and service land. And then over time, it became more of a marketing thing. And you see CMOs now have bigger and bigger responsibilities. They have more product definition, pricing definition, um, things they didn't have historically. And that's how I ended up in marketing is digital kind of became more of a marketing function. And in fact, it it happened very specifically at TIAA, where I was responsible for leading the digital transformation really of its marketing program, because we were about to rebrand for the first time in the company's history, the first national advertising campaign in the company's history. And so we built this great big digital strategy that also filled in what I would call marketing strategy gaps that we perceived existed. And then it became clear that my team was just better at designing those things. And we went from just designing the digital portion to being asked to take over the entire marketing 
the entire market, the campaign launch, the rebrand, et cetera. And so I had good people and we just, we moved in and we took that over. That, that's how I picked up the tradi- quote, traditional marketing stuff. Like that's where I made my first commercials and, yeah. um, you know, it was, was dealing with, but I, de- I dealt with agencies before I dealt with the creative side. I dealt with the UX side. I had d- done a lot of the digital analytics and the, you know, sort of the, the customer feedback loop in other functions. So I picked up a lot of things that you need anyway, inside of marketing. And if you're a digital person who's data-driven to begin with, you just explain the modern marketing motion. So, Yeah. And if you had to um, take what you now know and offer yourself one piece of advice at the start of your career, what would that be? That's a really good question. Um, One piece of advice. Um, You know, I, I, I think the thing that I would tell myself, and it's what I tell a lot of my people, like you have to manage your career. Don't let your career manage you. I I think if I was talking back to my, you know, 21 year old self, it's that. Um, I don't think, you know, I graduated from college in 1993. Um, It was the tail end of the recession in California was one of the last states. That's where I was to come out of the recession. Um, And then we went on this unmitigated run, you know, the first eight, nine years of my career. I didn't know people got laid off. Like I'd read about in the newspaper, but it didn't mean anything because everything was growing so fast and people were hiring, growing and this, you know, the, the world was changing and it was exciting. It was a great economy. It was a great stock market. Um, it wasn't until the dot-com bubble where I watched a company go from incredible growth to retrenchment, layoffs, et cetera, that I, that's when I sat back and took stock of where am I? How am I managing this? What happens if I get laid off? Like, like, what does that look like? Um, that kind of mortality, almost, you know, sort of career mortality moment was when I looked and said, all right, I'm not really managing this. I'm just kind of riding the waves. I need to completely change how I think about this. I love that. Um, and last question for you. So as you look out into 2022 and other than maybe having a small break before the rush of it all starts again, um, what are you looking forward to personally and professionally? Yeah. So, well, personally, <laughs> I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that, you know, 2022, you know, is a, an even closer return, return, I'm not even sure is the right word, but, you know, the, a closer step back towards whatever's becoming the new normal. You know, we're traveling a little bit again and, we, you know, it's already happening now. You know, we've got enough, you know, we're, 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 this thing is now is still managing us and, you know, humanity starts managing it going back to my career parallel there, you know, personally, I just, if that happens, lots of other great stuff is going to come along with it. Professionally, I'm super excited. You know, we are, you know, I just celebrated my four year anniversary. We did a complete teardown of this team built, you know, hired some incredible folks you know, we rebranded the company. We've, you know, redone our tech stack. We, we had a plan to systematically grow and scale, grow and scale, grow and scale. Um, as you can see on the screen, you know, in my background, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary. It's the most complex, you know, multi-channel, multilingual campaign we've ever run. It almost killed us, but it was awesome. Like, and, and the results are so good. And we're still in the early days. And so really building on that, you know, I've also now got a team, they're seasoning, 
even how long they've been here. So they're growing and, and doing even more interesting things. So, you know, I'm in a good position when I, I look at the team, I look at where we are, I look at where the company is. Um, and we're at, I think, a really exciting inflection point in our own industry. We're about to go through some really big tech-induced change. And our company's well-positioned. to to And we have a marketing plan that's really well-positioned for that. So um, that's, pretty, that's, that's a pretty good feeling to already have in December. I kind of have an idea of how next year has to play out. Um, you know, and at this point, it's all about, you know, fundraising and executing. Give me more money and let's go, you know, drive pipeline and drive results, right? That's, you know, it's, um, I, again, if I, if we hadn't had a couple of really good years, we hadn't been in this position, I might feel very differently. But, um, you know, we're, we're, I think we're functioning very nicely. Uh, I hear that getting money that then goes ahead and creates more money is often very gettable. So if you I, look, I think this that. is the it's it's not tough logic. We generated yeah. pipeline. Would you like more pipeline? Give us more <laughs> money. I mean, <laughs> I love that. Well, listen, Jamie, it's such a pleasure to chat with you. Can't wait to hear about how the new year kicks off. And in the meantime, um, you know, take care until we uh, we chat again. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm happy to chat anytime, and uh, you know, folks can find me on LinkedIn if they've got questions or uh, or I can help in any way. Great, thank you.